Welcome to the Gen Z Show, the only show dedicated to young leaders and those who work with them to create a positive revolution that will inspire this generation to impact future generations. With your host, James McLean. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Gen Z Show. I'm here with James McLam. How are you today, James? I'm doing great. How are things in Nebraska? You know, it's pretty good. We're really dry, so everyone pray for rain. Our state's kind of on fire, but other than that, it's pretty great. Now, you've traveled a lot, haven't you? Oh, yeah. I, I don't have like you ever one place very long. <laughs> have you traveled internationally before? I have. It's been lots of fun, lots of new experiences. Well, what made you feel the most comfortable when you were there? I probably felt the most comfortable when I was traveling internationally, when I finally felt like I was getting acclimated to the culture and that people, the locals, wanted me to be a part of who they were. They would mm. ask me questions and it wasn't like, oh, are you an American kind of thing, but like, asking where I came from or asking like how this food compared to what I had in America or asking about different like cultural norms kind of thing. Or when I then turned and asked questions to the locals, like, well, what makes this different or why is it like this way? And when there was some level of camaraderie between me as a foreigner and them mm. as local. Can you imagine, though, having to move to a country and not knowing the language at all and having to go into an area where they're teaching you this and having to not only adjust to being uprooted, but to having to learn a whole new language, a whole new culture, a whole new way of communicating? That, to me, just would seem overwhelming. Yeah, I, I mean, you and I talk for a living, so I couldn't imagine not being able to communicate by just talking. I, I agree. Well, today's guest, Ms. Uh, Andrea Beitner, wrote a book called Take Me Home. And it's based on her experiences as a English, English language learner teacher. Now, let me explain that for our audience, what English language learner teacher is. Stay with me, guys, because this may be a little bit longer introduction. That is a, a process where you're teaching uh, students who need to learn the English language. It is not their first language that they have learned. Uh, so this is a process of, of which she was teaching in high schools in Philadelphia, students who were coming to her to learn more about English, not like you and I did four years of English in high school, but they were having to learn it just to be able to communicate. And she wrote a book about their experiences called Take Me Home. And Abby, the stories that she tells and the struggles that they went through and the triumphs that they had and the experiences they had. It is a very, very moving book. I really think our audience is going to love this. And there's one statement that she says that, that you'll hear often repeated during the interview is that when you're encountering people who are coming here from foreign countries who are, one of the advice that she gives is don't be cautious around them, but be curious to get to know them. And it is a powerful, powerful interview. A little bit different interview than we've had before because of the topic, but one that I probably enjoyed as much as any that I've ever done. Well, I know I'm pretty excited to share this story with our audience. And with that, let's head into Andrea Beitner's interview.
Andrea, welcome to the Gen Z Show. Thank you uh, for agreeing to be our guest today. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. It was kind of unique. Uh, we'll just take a side note here, how we connected. It was, we, we know a lot of the same people, but we actually connected through a mastermind group that, that we came together on. So it's kind of, it's kind of wild how all these uh, ways that we are connected brought us together like this. Absolutely. The stars aligned. And I love, you know, the mastermind group that we're currently working with. They have a lot of great networking opportunities and a lot of great, I so I call them game changers, people mm-hmm. out there on missions, you know, doing great work in the world. I, I agree. I've, I've really appreciated uh, the opportunity to be a part of that group. Our audience has heard me in the pre-recording uh, that I did before I brought you on uh, explain a little bit about who you are, but they want to hear from you. Our Gen Z audience wants to hear from you who you are, and, and would you mind just introducing yourself to our audience? Yeah, so uh, thanks again you know, for this opportunity. I am an English language learner, teacher, reading specialist, mentor, literacy coach, and first-time author from just outside of Philadelphia, PA. I've been teaching for about 22 years, and most of my career, 15 years of it, has been spent in the support role. So Mm -hmm. I've been working between the ELL or EL, English Language Learners field, and the Reading Specialist field, but didn't start out that way. I started out as a high school English teacher out of Westchester University and learned really quick that my kids couldn't read. And as I was working with ninth, 10th and 11th graders who had missed some literacy skills throughout their career, it was challenging enough for me to go back to school and want to become a reading specialist to learn how to teach them to read. So I did that for a while, worked as a reading specialist. And then during that time, started to get really curious about working with English language learners, Uh, partnered up with a great guy named Mike, who was an EL teacher in my building and said, hey, I love working with this population, too. How do you get to do that? And so I went back to school again uh, and became an EL teacher. And that kind of prompted me to straddle between the EL field and the reading specialist field for the last 15 years. So for our audience who's not familiar with the the terminology, the abbreviations that we use in education, I haven't been in the classroom for 10 years. I was right there with you. Tell them what, you know, English language learners are. Who Who is that population? Because I'm sure. sure somebody's sitting there listening and saying, I, I don't know what's going on. I think I'm going to skip over what's happening here. <laughs> Good. So an English language learner uh, comes from many, many different walks of life. When I was working in the classroom uh, about 10 years ago with a high school group of ELs, I had kids who were born here. I had mm-hmm. kids who had crossed the border. I had kids who were adopted. I had kids that were exchange students. I had kids that had waited 10 years for a visa and came first. I had kids that had waited 10 years for a visa and came after mom and dad set up. But what an EL is, is a person who already speaks one language and is currently learning English. Or uh, would you classify them too that English is not the language that's spoken at their home typically? Mm-hmm. Not necessarily, you know, okay. you know, we have different kids from with all different situations. What classifies them at first is, yes, their first language that they listened to or spoke uh, or read or write was not English, but many of their parents are bilingual as well. So mm-hmm. we have some kids who speak English 
uh, and Arabic at home, or we have some kids who have family members who their parents have gifted them, I say, with bilingualism so that they can continue to speak Arabic or French or Twi or Russian or uh, Spanish or whatever that language might be uh, to family members when they travel, but then they learn their English at school. You know, so nope. you can have lots of different examples. So working with this population, you received a lot of inspiration, enough inspiration that it inspired you to to write a book that you alluded to that you're an author as well. Share with us a little bit about uh, this book, because when you and I were talking about it beforehand, I got excited because of the stories that you were relating to it. And that's what I want this audience here. I want them to get excited about what you were sharing, because it's, it's really inspirational. Thank you. So about 10 years ago, I was working at the high school as an English language learner teacher. And I had about 40 different kids at that time. And they came from all those walks of life that we just talked about, right? I had adopted kids, exchange student kids, kids that had crossed the border, kids that were born here, kids that had visas in different situations, kids that had went to boarding schools, mm -hmm. kids that had never been to school. I had lots of different examples of lots of different kids. And within those 40 kids, we had about 25 different languages. And we had this real sense of family in our program. We had this huge banner that sat at the top of my classroom that said, what's your plan? Because our kids that were coming in or having different experiences in the U.S. knew that their only plan could not be to be unsuccessful at school or to go back to their country or to go home and tell their parents who were working so hard for whatever reason to have them here that they weren't making the commitment to the grades that they needed them to get. And so what was under what's the, your plan? was a barrage of pictures of alumni. And every year the alumni would come back and they were all bilingual kids themselves and talk to them about what successes they were having out in the world. And they would congratulate them on what we called their t-shirt day. Mm. So whether they were going to college or they were an entrepreneur or they were getting trained in something or they were going into the workforce, whatever it may be, they were getting a t-shirt to represent that they had finished their first chapter, let's say, of their plan. Really? Did, so the alumni were getting these t-shirts? The alumni would come back. We'd have our alumni day. I would purchase all the t-shirts depending on wherever they were going. Wow. And they would have this exchange and it would be this huge celebration. The underclassmen were responsible for decorating the room. They were responsible for organizing what the event would look like. We would have teachers come down and congratulate them. We would have the alumni come back, congratulate them and talk to them about what was waiting for them on the other side of the high school doors. So. We had this sense of community. You know, the kids stood up for each other. They advocated for each other. They studied together. They had lunch together. And so it was a really special time in my career to work with this particular group of kids. And so at that time, I worked with one particular family, and they were the Lopez family. And I had taught all seven of their nephews and nieces. And we started with my very first EL student, Sergio, from El Salvador, which is a country I've been to three different times to do some work in different occasions down there. And it started with him and it went all the way down to Jeffrey, to Jeffrey from Las Vegas, to Henry, to various other students in the family, all the way to Nancy. And Nancy was the only female of the family that I had the opportunity to teach. And so about a year after we had our celebration and Nancy had gone off to school, she was happened to be going to a local college for her first year. I was teaching one day and there were a bunch of helicopters outside. And we happened to live in an area where there are a lot of train tracks that surround different parts of our community. And so I remember looking outside that day and I remember going, oh, wow, there's a lot of stuff going on out there today. There was a lot of helicopters, a lot of sounds like I hope everything's OK.
And so about an hour after I had had that thought and kept teaching, my principal came down to get me to let me know that one of my students had been hit by the train. One of your and, current students? Uh, at that time, she was a student, yes. And so I immediately started to go into a trauma response. And he let me know that the student that had been hit was Nancy. Mm. Unfortunately, she was walking along the tracks that day. And when I had to watch the video with her parents later on to kind of see what had happened, we discovered that she had made a choice for some reason to walk on the inside of the gate instead of the outside of the gate and just decided not to use an overpass. And she had had headphones on. And so as she was walking along the inside of the gate, the Acela came and clipped her from behind. Hmm. And unfortunately that day she died. And one of the most challenging pieces to that day, in addition to working with this community we had built and this family we had built, was the communication. Because there were no members of the current force that day that were on duty that spoke Spanish. So mom and dad were notified that one of their children had passed away, but oh, they wow. couldn't figure out which one it was for a pretty extended period of time. Wow. So they were standing on the train tracks calling all of these nieces and nephews to figure out which one it was. And so the weeks that followed after that were filled with a lot of love and support and trauma and working with her family and working with the government to working with the visa process to see if we could get her brother to be able to come up and bury his sister, which was denied. And dad's a pastor and mom works in the city alongside of him and working with the church community and working with the uh, government and the local funeral home to pay for the funeral and navigate that whole process, which mom and dad are still learning English themselves. So they were limited in. And so we worked through all that time together. And one of my jobs uh, towards the day of the funeral was to speak at our funeral. And so at that time, I wrote this short poem. And it was an homage to Nancy's crossing into the U.S. She happened to be one of my students that had crossed the border. Uh -huh. And so I wrote this short poem called Take Me Home. And it was an homage to her crossing. And so we went through that time together and I continued to teach. And, and a few years later, I saw it out on my desk one day and I thought, hmm, I wonder if somebody could use this story. I wonder if somebody out there could be helped by the experience that she had here in the U.S. And so I sent it out to a bunch of publishers. And about six months later, one of the publishers got back to me and said, hey, Andrea, we really like your poem, but we don't just want you to write a poem. We want you to write a book. And we're going to give you about six months to do it. And if we come back with something that we like, we're going to take you on and publish it. And I started to think, well, all right, I don't just want to tell her story. I want to tell all of their stories because they're so different. And lots of people make this assumption that, you know, an English language learner means one thing right? and it, and it doesn't. And so I took the time in those six months to go back and interview 11 of my former ELs who are now young, successful bilingual people living with their families and working here in the U.S. And I asked them a question that I thought that was maybe missed during the time that we were together as students and teachers. And my question was, now that you're a young bilingual professional person living here and working in the U.S., we knew your data. We knew how to adapt and accommodate your instruction. We understood what you may have needed financially and socially while you were in school. 
But what was it really like for you? What was it really like for you to overcome all of those obstacles and tell your story now that you can communicate it in a way that people will listen? And so we had these great conversations. And from every conversation I had, I was able to pull something out of it and say, and that's your chapter. And that's your chapter. And that's your chapter. And so from those six months, we created this book and it's called Take Me Home. And it's the true story of 11 of my former EL students who give a firsthand account because it's told through their eyes of what it's really like to become bilingual in the U.S. And our mission is to teach people that when you're meeting someone who's learning a language for the first time, to treat that time in their life like an asset and not a deficit. Because a lot of times they walked around feeling like rotten apples and long-term thinking, that's just not the case. And so it's written in English and it repeats in Spanish. And we are super, super proud of this work that's being received really well all over the country. One of the reasons why that I got excited about the opportunity to bring you on the show is we know that Generation Z is the most diverse generation in American history, that they have the most diverse population. So therefore, those who are working with this generation and those who are living in this generation are going to have more chances to encounter people who are learning English as their second language that are that are learning English as a part of this. And and I felt like it was extremely important for us to highlight that and share with them what was it like. So I want to kind of take the conversation from that perspective. If we could give some advice and some tips to maybe the adults who are working with them first, if we could go with that first about the adults that are working with them, what advice would you give to them based on what you have learned through your experiences and the interviews? how they can help these young people adapt and, and thrive in this environment. Yes. Well, I think that no matter, you know, whether they were an EL student or a student that was learning anything new, right? A student that was learning to read, a student that was learning to do math, a new skill. The first thing, you know, that I noticed as a support teacher is every kid and every parent and every family is looking for three things. They're looking to feel respected. They're looking to feel accepted and they're looking to feel admired. And as they're traveling through that challenging chapter of their life, it's our job to not only create an environment that helps them feel that, but to help them navigate all the resources that they may just not be aware of. And I think one of the biggest tips in addition to that is connecting them to those resources and helping them navigate processes that were really different from the US. Mm -hmm. You know, if you weren't born here and you're coming in with different experiences, your school system was different. Your grades were different. Your teachers were different. Your time of day of instruction was different. Your opportunity and expectations might be different. So just being willing and being open to learn about all the differences that may exist and taking the time to investigate it a little bit is really an essential way to helping them navigate their process here. I remember when I was teaching, my fourth year teaching, we had a, a I had a student who was was born in Vietnam and he was coming to the United States, but he was reaching in North Carolina. He was reaching the age out. I think he was 20. 20. Uh, and this was it. Either he got his diploma or he was, you know, he would have to do go another route. And he struggled. I was teaching. Well, I, I think he was teaching. I think he was taking animal science. And I know for a fact that he was a placement, you know, 
This is not something he chose. This is not something that's interested him. It's something that the guidance counselors looked on the schedule and said, well, you, you got to go somewhere this hour. This is open. You got to go there. I, I know that. Was nobody's fault. It's just that ha- how it had to happen. I mean, those of us in, that have been in education knows that sometimes that, that just happens. It's not malicious. But the young man did not understand what was going on. He really, like, and I didn't know how to operate very well with him. I, I did not know that. And at the end of the year, when we, got ready to finish tabulating his grades. And even though I had uh, meetings with him and, and God's counselors through the year to help him, it, I realized he was not going to make it. And I made the choice to work with the guidance counselor to, to create something that he could do that just would set, would give him some sense of accomplishment. And we could say, you've passed. Uh, I don't know if that was the right way or not, but uh you know, the, the syllabus type things he didn't do, but he we did something that he could present to me. And I said, all right, Book, you're now class. And I remember when he graduated and they were walking out after the kids had graduated and stuff, he broke the line and ran over to me and gave me a hug. Aww. I've never forgotten that. Absolutely. You know, I think, you know, you were advocating for him and navigating for him. And and that's the time that he needed you to do that. A lot of people think that lack of language equals lack of intelligence. Exactly. And and that's just not the case. You know, if you you dropped me in a a different country and said, good luck, Andrea. And I, you know, I've had that experience. I've traveled to Salvador Mm -hmm. where my only option was Spanish. And I studied it for about a year to try and get ready. But there was nothing more limiting than walking into a place and knowing there were certain go-to sentences that I knew I could say successfully. But if they were to ask me to expand my thoughts, I was I was silent, you know, and I laughed my way through those few weeks I spent there and I went back a few more times. But it was very humbling to think I couldn't do what I do here, there, not yet, not yet, you know. And I think, too, you know, I would encourage people, you know, who are working with this generation Instead of being cautious to get curious, to ask a lot of questions, because the best indicator of how strong a student will be in learning a new language is how strong they are in their first one. So learning what are their strengths in their first language? Do they listen to it? Do they speak it? Do they read it? Do they write it? Are they literate in it? Are they proficient in it? Because if they are, now all I've got to do is teach some transfer skills, right? I've got to teach that in English, this sound says this. Oh, and your first language has said that. The vocabulary differences. But if a student comes in who's never been to school or is not literate in their first language or maybe only listens and speaks it to certain family members at home, now I might have to teach them how to read. Mm-hmm. So the, the avenues can go in so many different directions, which is why I encourage people to be curious and not cautious. They have a lot. I to, love that. They have a lot to offer. You just have to discover what it is and do the work. I love that. Don't. Don't get counselors, get curious. That's a hashtag right there. Sure. Okay. <laughs> we'll see that trending when this releases. Come on, Gen Z community. Let's trend that. <laughs> Lots of bad things trend on Twitter. Let's get something here. That That's a whole speech right there. That's a whole new book right there. Don't get cautious, uh, get curious. I love that. Thank you. Because um, I see how that not only applies in a classroom, but but it applies for those who are working with youth in other avenues too, that they do tend to get cautious because they don't want to offend and so they they mistake you know, how how, do, how can we overcome that okay i'm working with someone uh let's say I'm, I'm trying to think did i ever i coached baseball for a long time i'm trying to think is there ever a yeah there was some some uh some youth that came to my uh 
little league program years ago, and they were new to the to the United States, and their dad wanted them to get. Uh, and I didn't know how to communicate with them really well, but baseball was kind of a universal language for them. How? Give me some tips on how I should have been curious and not cautious with them. Sure. I'm putting you on the spot, I know, but I love this. This is this is great. Well, I think you know the first thing you can do is attempt to make that communication in various different ways, right? Mom and dad, you know, or whatever family they're living with, they are the root to the fruit, right? They mm -hmm. are, you know, the people behind that student that you're working with. So your best bet is to try and communicate with with them. You know, and there are so many ways you can do that. You can use services. They have language-based services like InterpreTalk or Propia, which are, you know, 163 or more interpreters available on the phone or via video with Propia 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And so if you wanted to have a sit-down conversation with a business person or, or, you know, a new family that you're working with, make the time and put the effort to use that service to have a back and forth conversation. And that involves you the interpreter and the parent, and you speak English, the interpreter speaks, let's say, twi, the language that you might need in that moment. They were talking to mom and dad, they respond in twi, they tell you what they said in English, and it's a great exchange. Wow. And, you know, and gather all that information. There are great written services. You know, your states put out, um, in Pennsylvania, it's called Transact, and they're across the country, which are services which have everything under the sun, from we're having an event to, you know, your student is truant, to please come to our open house to a medical form that are already translated and verified by the state with your school letterhead on it and opportunities to communicate with, with families. The only thing I would caution in, you know, when you're communicating with families is don't rely on siblings and don't rely mm -hmm. on friends that you might have nearby who, oh yeah, I know this guy that speaks Russian, he can come help me. And this is why. You know, when you're meeting with mom or dad on that baseball team or whatever environment it may be in, they may want to share things with you about their child that they don't want their siblings to know. Oh. And so when you rely on the sibling to communicate for them, it's really disempowering. You don't want to. I never thought about that before. You know, if, if I want to talk about my daughter, Sarah, and I have Rachel doing the speaking for me, maybe there's something I don't want Rachel to know about her sister. You know, and so you're not going to get the most amount of information if you put people in a situation that's not comfortable to them. And so that's why I always say you want to empower parents by using services and instead of, you know, yanking somebody from down the hall, you know, or pulling their sibling out of class to help you because you have the opportunity to use other resources. Just describe uh, what it was like for some of these folks so that our audience can kind of get some insight into the struggles and the challenges that these youth are facing as they are trying to adapt to a, a new culture. Sure. I mean, we talk about this, you're reading in the book, you, you'll see lots of different examples of challenges they went through. You know, we changed their names in the book to names of strength, like switch and navigate and embrace and uh, fuel and grit. You know, we purposely did that to show the strengths that they went through. And these are some examples. For example, fuel and grit, we didn't know they were coming. They were picked up by what we would call a, a leader or a coyote one day. They saw some backpacks on the ground and they were taken into this country and brought to their family with no warning. That's traumatic. Wow. That's a huge challenge. Then we had students who had waited Without for their family at all. Fa there was some family here waiting for them, but the oh. re remaining family they left behind, they knew they'd never be able to see again. Hmm. We had students who, you know, went through the challenge of red tape of layers of visa process. 
you know, you don't just get a visa in a, in a one shot deal. It takes years and layers of interviews and paperwork and funding and lawyers and thousands of dollars to help people come here. And so that's why people will wonder sometimes, why did they come on a Tuesday in March? Well, that's when the opportunity happened. That's when the U.S. gave a stamp and said yes. You know, so they have to think about the challenges of, of just, you know, changing your life on a dime. But you knew that the opportunity you would prayed and waited so long for finally came. We had kids who had to adjust to boarding school versus a traditional school here in the U.S., where in one chapter, everything was planned for him from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Every minute of the day was regimented. And then you come here and it's an entirely different school system where nothing was really regimented and there's all these choices. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we had kids um, who came from countries where they had never been to school. So, you know, there are so many challenges. And then when they arrived here, hearing all the expressions people use, uh, we had, you know, we had one student who has, he said the thing he remembers the most the first day was go hard or go home. And he was like, what, what is that? What does that mean? You know, and, and every language has them, right? Expressions people use, but just being aware. And, you know, the U.S. and the East Coast is one of the fastest speaking, most impatient parts of the country. So, you know, we speak rapidly and we expect things quickly. And so that's a challenge. And then just moving from class to class, you know, you've got a different teacher with a different speech and a different pace every 45 minutes of your day. And you're just trying to, you know, not drown, you know, so just kind wow. of being aware of those things, I think is really important. If there is a, a young person listening and they're like, I see this student in my school every day. They're, they're sitting by themselves. They're walking by themselves down the hall. How do I engage with them? What advice could you give to, to a high schooler or college student or anyone that's, that is seeing someone that is a peer of theirs, that is someone of their age group that they encounter? What kind of, what kind of tips you can, because I was thinking again, when you were saying about those challenges, I was thinking about Luke and, and I remember him sitting by himself the first half of the year that I would see him in the lunchroom. Eventually, there were there he he found his his crowd but i would think that probably took about four months um yeah i mean i think you know as a student or a college student just being available you know to be a person who's understanding and respectful and and helping them navigate you know whatever process they might be in if you're in a school and you see a kid sitting by themselves at lunch offer to let them come sit with you you know, just because they can't respond to you doesn't mean they don't understand what's happening. And if you're a teacher in a building and you're working with ELs who are brand new to the country or were born here and are struggling, use your team. You know, it takes a village. Start to think to yourself, are there other people in the district who might speak these languages as well? You know, are there opportunities that I could connect this kid? And you could think of this as a student too. Hey, I know so-and-so speaks Russian in 10th grade. Did you know that he, you know, I have a seventh grade friend who always speaks Russian. I should hook them up, you know, and it doesn't mean they're going to be best friends, but it's a go-to, you know, it's, you want to think as, a, you know, places where students might struggle throughout the day that are really unstructured when they're learning language, the cafeteria, like your example, a lot of my students used to come and end up eating lunch in my room for those first few months because the cafeteria is overwhelming. It's loud. And it's fast paced and there's pressure to communicate, you know, to people you might not know so well on the lunch team. And mm -hmm. there's time, you know, there's systems where you have to enter pin numbers. Well, they may not be familiar with that. So, you know, I always used to say I wanted everybody in the building 
and you know, students included, to know who the students were who were learning English because they're going to encounter all these different situations all day long and they're not with their EL teacher all day long. And so you have to set them up for success. So if you're a kid out there and you're seeing someone who's learning English, just be a friend, you know, just bring, you know, let them join up with you. Come with me. I can help you. I can help you order lunch. I can help you get to the next class. I see you struggling and I'll help you. I really think that, that this is a topic that those who work with youth and youth themselves need to have some awareness of because they are the most diverse generation. And that, that takes on a lot of different meanings to a lot of different people. A lot of folks say, okay, they're the most diverse generation racially within the American culture. But this is different. We're talking about different cultures inside the American borders. Um, and and that's, that's bringing out a, a different aspect than I think some folks think. So I admire Absolutely. this. And oh, thank you so much. And, you know, that's really what, you know, our, our, our mission is behind all this work is that, you know, it's such a short chapter of their life. You know, it, it mm -hmm. takes five to 10 years. Sometimes we say short chapter. It's not like a hot minute. You know, it takes five to 10 years to learn English. And for the kids in schools, this is their only chance at a free education, right? This is, a, we're their ticket. We're it. You know, because once they go out into the workforce or the university field, they have to pay for those things. So when they're in the schools, what a great opportunity like you did to have an influence on this young man or young woman's life to help them through this period of time as they're becoming bilingual. Yeah, I just didn't feel like when it, when it was coming through that I could be the reason that he was not going to to walk. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, he could not move to the next chapter. I just was like, you can't. I could not justify that. And so that whole last nine weeks, I was like, we got to find something yeah. that, you know, not that I, I didn't want to be the one. I didn't want to be that teacher too. said, oh, I'll just pass him on. I wanted him to have some ownership in what he was doing, mm -hmm. because I think that goes back to what you said too. You know, that respect, giving him something, I didn't think I was showing him any respect, making him earn it, you know, he, or having some ownership in it. He felt, uh, I think felt a little bit more, uh, respect uh, about what was going on and stuff. And he even presented his little, he, he presented his little project in front of uh, wow. not the entire class. Uh, Cause uh, we had done something earlier in the year that I realized really quickly, okay, he's not going to be able to get in front of the class, but we had uh, like four students. I think it was four that agreed to come back. My, my best students of the year. Yeah. Well, some of them weren't even in his class. They were just from other classes and they just came one afternoon and they sat there and he presented to them and, you know, because I knew they kind of, you know, were, were, they would buy in very quickly to what I was trying to do versus sure. the rest of his class. Some of the kids might might have just uh, not have been as attentive or as respectful as I would have desired. Um, yes. And you were giving him what he needed. Right. Well, you know, what is fair for one student? People will say that's not fair. No, it is fair because what is fair is what the student needs at that time. Well, and fair is not always equal and equal is yeah. not always fair. And I think we did. I think my, my experience of working with youth and, and teaching as well is that those two things are convoluted too much. Oh, you gave them this. It's not fair that I didn't get that. Or, oh, they got this. Well, you know, everybody doesn't need or deserve the same thing. We have to, mm -hmm. some things we need to be equal on. Some mm -hmm. things we need to be equal. They need to have those same opportunities. But sometimes uh, their situation is different. And even if we give them more, they may not have the same outcome. Right. And in the Yale spectrum, you have to remember that, you know, what you're working with them right now, like giving the opportunity to present in a small group, it's not the end all be all, you know, it's temporary. 
you know? Mm -hmm. And so what you're working towards eventually is being able to present to a larger group, but that takes time, accommodation and adaptation and so many other factors. And that's why you have to rely on your team to be able to make that happen. I love this. I love this topic. Mm -hmm. I love the fact that, that, uh, you're such an advocate, uh, for a population that needs, uh, Needs advocates not only in every school, but I think almost in, in, in every department inside of a school. Uh, not just having that one section, but having advocates in there. But this is not the only book that you've uh, written and stuff. You've also connected with another book from a friend of mine uh, that we interviewed last year. Mr. Chip Baker has been out getting folks. Tell me about the impact of influence. Yes. So I uh, love Chip Baker. Was uh, honored to meet him a few years ago through uh, what he called the virtual authors tour. Mm -hmm. And we connected them with him and Tammy Matheny. Who's and also a great friend of mine. So. Absolutely. And um, I've been honored enough to work with them the past three years and continue our connection and supporting each other's work. And uh, a while back, Chip asked me, along with 20 other fabulous ladies, to write a chapter for what we call the Impact of Influence Volume 3, Ladies Edition. And what it is, is a compilation of stories from some pretty amazing women from all over the country who have overcome challenges you couldn't even imagine. And they talk to you about those challenges and it's raw and it's authentic. And it gives you some ideas as to how they overcame them or what they celebrated at the end of them and the different people who impacted them along the way. And so I'm really proud to be a part of this. And it's being also really well received and connecting to women and readers all over the country. Sandra, how can our audience connect with you and find more about both uh, your book that you authored and Chip's book that, you know, he helped uh, bring together all these outstanding ladies in, in this compilation? How can they connect with you? So the good news is they can connect with all of it at one spot. We just launched our website. It is called andreabittnerbooks.com. And that's where you can learn more about Take Me Home. You can learn more about the impact of influence. You can purchase signed copies there. And you can also purchase uh, these books on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, um, and through the website of publishers that I was signed with, which is Austin McCauley. So lots of different places to access our books. Awesome. Thank you so much. Well, I am so grateful for our time together, our, our opportunity for us to to share uh, about these uh, this population and maybe dispel some some preconceived notions that people have. Uh, I really really love the, the the statement that you made uh, about don't be cautious, get uh, don't get cautious, get curious. I really really love that because that summed up really some of my experiences. I think I was too cautious and not curious enough because I didn't know where the line was, and so. Thank you for that time. Thank you. And thank you for having me today. And thank you, Gen Z audience, for sticking with us. Someone that you know really needs to hear this episode. So please like, share, and comment on this either on YouTube or at your favorite podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, if you look down, you'll see the links to the book uh, that we just had on the screen. If you're listening, go to the show notes. They'll be there as well. And we'll see you guys again next week on the Gen Z Show. Thank you for joining us on the Gen Z Show and being a part of our community. Please subscribe to our channels on YouTube and on your favorite podcast app. Follow us too on Instagram and Facebook to get weekly updates. Until our next show, have a blessed day.